Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Long Monday. This is Jason here and I am joined by a special guest and of course uh, a co-host as well. My special guest today is Cody Constantine. You probably haven't ever heard Cody Constantine, but you've heard his music on our show before. He does our intro for our podcast, and he also did our music for The Raven, which hopefully all of you guys have listened to. So, Cody, thanks for being with us here today. Thank you for having me. Awesome. And um, also, we got Mike Kane is here, my co-host. Mike, as we all know, you are a music aficionado. I certainly try to be. <laughs> I try to know the ins and outs of music, but... Yeah, well, you know, and you have various tastes that are always... Uh, I'm certainly going to be asking Cody about his inspirations on certain tracks, because I think right. I know some of those inspirations, if I had to guess, but yes. we'll get to that shortly. Yeah, and also, guys, we're going to tell you, too, we're trying something new here today. Because Cody is a uh, musician, we are actually trying, for the first time, an in-studio kind of concept here. We are actually on a Zoom mic, and we are trying to do like a live kind of podcast. We are socially distanced, okay, so don't be nervous about that, but we're just trying something new, so it's going to sound a little bit different, something that we can do in the future on trial on different versions and doing maybe possibly live theater shows, so we're testing something new out for you guys today. So uh, let's get started. Let's start. Let's dive in. I'm sure you're all wondering a little bit about Cody. Uh, we, of course, posted his photo up when we did The Raven and a little bit of a bio. But uh, Cody, just tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about what you do, a little bit about your music and everything. Go ahead, man. Well, I'm a Taurus. That's cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, um, I'm a bass player predominantly. The bass and instruments that are focused more about low end are the ones that kind of hold my heart the most. Um, a student of post-hardcore and post-punk, Bands like Glass John, Thursday, Joy Division, New Order, um, Interpol. So, yeah, I've just been a musician for about, say, give or take 11 years, um, successfully touring for three. And then I recently left the band that I had had uh, my most varied successes with due to personal reasons and obviously the, the pandemic. So now I'm just kind of coasting along doing small things for other people, so... Now, Cody, I know you're into like doing other stuff too, and I, I've read that you have like some poetry and stuff. You've been doing like a book of poetry yeah, as well. I I do. I have. <laughs> do you see any music cross section into your poetry? Nope. No. Any of the Did you ever write lyrics for your band? Oh yeah. So there's no cross section there between writing lyrics and writing poetry? No. Um, mainly because the poetry came at a really weird time and I was like, Well, I don't wanna have any of this um, to be identifiable with that okay because that was a very different period of my life and i'd imagine in you know a decade i'll probably sit down and be like this is the same thing you know could be yeah and you might convert some of them into music yeah possibly i could see that happening. probably yeah honestly yeah that's it's that's where we're going like, with it as i like to call it sad bastard poetry <laughs> yeah so it's um so, so ben gibbard maybe wants you to write a uh, track for him for death cap possibly Listen, uh, if, if ben gibbard called me and said, hey, Cody, I want you to write Death Cab song. I'd be on the first plane to Los Angeles. Sure. I would I be driving it. to Los Angeles. I get it. I get it. So uh, you were in the band Empty. Uh, yes. Tell us a little bit about Empty. What, like, about that band. Just tell what, what is yeah, Empty. I'm, I'm trying to think. <laughs> it's been, it was such a weird, weird ride. I don't know. Um, empty, from a overall perspective, was a emotionally charged post-hardcore band influenced by Under Oath and Norma Jean and The Chariot um, with an incredible live energy. If I could hold us to anything, it is that every single live show that we ever had was was like if you got a, a 9-11, like a Porsche, not the tragedy, <laughs> but you got a Porsche 911. Thank you for the clarification. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> and you just and you just put it pedal to the metal fifth gear for about 40 minutes and then you just hit a brick wall. Um, but initially started out as a Christian band, which was interesting, and then slowly kind of became much more about the open experience of, of how we grow as people. So, yeah. And so you mentioned that like COVID kind of um, shut you guys down. What was happening? Were you guys like on tour when it happened? Were you guys in the middle of like studio? What was going on when it all happened? We were on tour 
and I have a very specific memory of getting this email. So I'm sitting in the passenger seat of the van driving through Chicago and um, the label that Empty is signed to, Solid State, they essentially sent out this like forward all that said, hey guys, if you're a part of any tour, whether it be playing house shows or um, like our contemporaries in this band called Fit for a King, they were three days into a, a full U.S., Canada, and then uh, Asia tour. Mm-hmm. It will be canceled within 48 hours. We, we do not have the prospect of continuing with the knowledge that people could die and people could get sick and this could spread. So just make preparations to send people home. And I was sitting in the passenger seat of the van just being like, man, that kind of sucks. Hopefully this blows over in a month. <laughs> you know, we start, so we start just like kind of whatever, we'll reschedule the dates in, in like a week or whatever. And then obviously yeah. we're here. No, we are. Yeah. As, as most of us are. Um, and that's sort of thing we, I know we've been talking about on, on this show. We talk about theater. Um, but, I mean, there's so many other arts people that have, like, sort of this does everything. Because, I mean, music venues. I mean, I was supposed to go to, like, Michael. <laughs> we were supposed to go see Rage Against the Machine. And um, run the Jewels. You know, it was, and Run the Jewels, yeah. It was supposed to be a show that we were going to go see. And I, I know, and then we talk about other things. And I know other guys. I have a good friend I went to college with, um, Sean Gallen, who is a touring like electrician and sound guy and he was on the middle of a tour and they canceled him so i mean it's just weird because it's it's definitely COVID has affected i think arts communities more than almost any other community because it literally has put a halt to almost every arts community as far as like live type of performances i mean there's no live music performances there's no live theater there is but it's not to the level of like professional you don't see Broadway running. You don't see music venues running. So it's just kind of like, yeah, I think a lot of those emails are those things. I mean, I was in the middle of doing Drive Miss Daisy. We were literally in Tech Week. And we get this conversation that says, the governor won't allow any more groups of 50 or bigger to join. So they cancel a show. So, right. I mean, um, yeah, I can just imagine you guys in Chicago being like, okay, um, yeah. So five weeks from now, we'll just be back on tour. Yeah. And it's also important to recognize that Although Empty is signed to a label and we have a record and we have toured the bread and butter for a lot of smaller bands, like bands who aren't the size of maybe like the Avid Brothers, is going out, getting in the van and going out and playing shows, whether it be smaller venues or you play like an amphitheater, because streaming has not panned out well for people who aren't like Ariana Grande. Sure. Or if you're not Jimmy Eat World and you don't have a billion plays on the middle, it's really continuously been, okay, well... We're going to go out for a month because yeah. that'll pay our bills. That'll that'll keep the ball rolling. So when the pandemic hit and we just saw this absolute, um, I would say, like, DEFCON 5 of none of us know what we're doing. Because we, we lucked out. We had just started really going out and touring. Mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine being a band, like, I don't know, Thursday or being a band like um, like Periphery. Your whole Your whole life is... We're in the bus. Right. We're in the bus 10 months a year. And now you don't have that. There's not a backup plan. Sure. And obviously, um, with the with the growth of the internet and how people were able to transition going out and slinging t-shirts and slinging merch into, well, we make pedals now. But we have a web store for photography. Those secondary businesses have subsidized some of the loss, but it's still been an incredible hit because when you go on tour, it's it's a great financial burden up front. Sure. It's not just, we're going to go out and play these shows. Venues want money. Merch companies want money. You need money to pay rent, to eat. You know, if you have a kid, that's crazy. Like, yeah. so it really, like I said, became this DEFCON 5 of we've, none of us have had this. Sure. Yeah. Especially to this level too. Because I mean, yeah, I mean, just thinking about all the musician types. I mean, even if you're like a touring musician, somebody who's like, pianist that just like plays with guys they're just like sort of lost in this sort of thing um yeah it's crazy um because i know i was supposed to go to your show you had because you were doing like a final end of the tour was supposed to be like in myrtle beach or it was like you know that kind of show and i couldn't make it um i remember you saying there wasn't hardly anybody there anyway because it was sort of like nobody knew how to take covid anyway because it's like 
I think that's how people are now too, because we've seen the dip and now there's the second wave going. And I think we, Mike and I, we know other theaters that have tried to do shows or trying to get shows started back again. And some of them have said, we're just not going to do the show because there's so many, you don't know. It's like, you don't, don't know what's happening. And I think we are hopeful that there's going to be this, that the inoculation or whatever you want to call it, uh, it's going to be great. It's going to help everybody, but that's still three to four months out. Yeah. Who knows? Hopefully. But on a positive aspect, to kind of spin this in a good light, I guess, it has shown us how important important arts are and also forced change and forced growth and forced acknowledgement is. Because you can say, for example, you know, you want to work on yourself or you want to work on something that has been bothering you. But when you have six months of nothing, you kind of go, well, I've, I've hung the paintings. I changed the light bulbs. I cleaned the car. Guess I got to look in the mirror now. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, that's true. Man, that's a, man we got deep thought over here from Cody Constantine, ladies and hey. gentlemen. I was going to say, we're really bringing the show down. Uh, he's, uh, he's got his poetry. Yeah. Let me tell what kind of poetry it is. <laughs> All right, so we'll then spin this into a, you know, hang the paintings, uh, change the light bulbs, something different. Obviously, we've gone into a podcast. So, Cody, I think, Cody and I work together. So that's how we kind of know each other um, outside of our, into what you like to call the real world job, not the arts job, the one <laughs> yeah. that pays the rent job. Um, so Cody, I remember coming to you and talking about doing something different since you didn't have anything and that we were doing this podcast and we needed some intro music. And Cody, you and I like some of the same music too. We talk about it. We both like, you know, New Order and Joy Division. I was like talking about these things and I said, I want an intro. And so Cody's like, yeah. I'm going to get an intro for you. And so Cody sends us this thing. And so the guys, which you're hearing whenever you listen to our show intro, Cody did. Of course, it's an edited version of what Cody had. Um, I think Mike and I really enjoyed what Cody had at first. Steve and Caleb, I'm going to call them out. We're kind of like, I'm not sure if this is too heavy for us on the show. But it's something that I think has grown to us. And every show needs like an intro, kind of like something that's recognizable. So I think now people that listen to our show after – Several episodes. God, we've got no, I think 15, we're up to I was 15, gonna say 20, 20 episodes. Yeah, gonna say, now. You guys are, I think, at 15. Um, you know, cool. so now we have this intro. I think people expect this kind of like boom, 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 starting off. Um, Cody, you did that. And so when I sort of pitched to you and said, Do you want to do something? What were you thinking? Um, when I first asked you to do this, and then did you have any ideas right off the gate? Let me take the question of what is your process? There you go. Oh, perfect. You go. What is my process? Well, First, I do six weeks of deep thought. That's a, nice. that's a lie. Nice. I'm lying. I uh, sat down and I really thought about the arts in general and how they make me feel on like an animalistic level of the appreciation, the adoration, and how much I love the stress, but also the great um, grandeur of like an opening night, first night of tour. You know, or also a going home show. This is it. We're back. I, we don't have to drive the van anymore. I can sleep in my bed tonight. I'm going to make this as great as it can be. So when I sat down and started thinking about doing the music for it, I decided it had to be something that had like a bounce to it that was going to be, hey, yeah, this pandemic sucks. We're not worrying about it right now. This is 40 minutes of listening to something that we all care about. Because theater, at the end of the day, just like all the arts, is community. You grow. You have a family and that kind of thing. So I sat down and tried to write something that I felt would push the show, would kick it off with fun. A great, hey, we're doing this. It's not this weird epitaph to the industry. It is this, we're, we're a phoenix. We're coming back. And like I said at the beginning, I'm a predominantly a bass player. So all of my guitar playing is more of a texture than anything else because I really can't sit down and be like, I'm just going to, you know, shred out some notes real quick and that's, we're calling it a day. So I sat down first by um, recording just a single guitar track that I drenched with delay and reverb and enough of it to where it kind of almost became that like Steve Albini wall of sound concept, you know? And then I duplicated the tracks. I think there was actually three guitar tracks, which is why whenever it happens, whenever um, the guitar 
really starts to come in, it sounds so full. But that's also because I listen to a lot of music through iPhone speakers and through headphones. Mm -hmm. And I really like to when I like the idea of a, of a wall of sound coming at me. Obviously, other people might not, mm. but I wrote the music. So, authorial choice. So sorry sure. to hear it. Did you record all these different versions? Do you have these tracks? No. I, I recorded I recorded that one version. Okay. Yep. So, and then after I did the guitar, I spent about two hours just listening to it and just making sure this was the right choice to keep the levels where they are. Sure. And then I did bass. Um, and as a bass player, anytime I get to write a song, the bass really becomes the fun for me. So I wrote something that it felt like, like, it's weird to describe an emotion of how you wrote something, but I wrote it as if kind of it's like the first day of summer vacation, you know, okay. the, you, you have, you can just do, you know, you're free. See, I, see, I don't want to cut you off there, but I, but I agree with your sentiment that the, tr so when we first heard it, the thing that we heard was the really fast portion where you're mm -hmm. doing like a lot of 30 second notes on the guitar and stuff. And like Jason said, Jason and I were like, man, I really dig this. I really think it's cool. Um, not again, not to rag on Steve or Caleb here, but you know, they, they were questioning, I guess the sort of modality of it. Like yeah. is this and I'm like, yes, this is exactly how I think we should bring this in because I get sort of like a death heaven sunbather type thing where it's like exactly very fast, very loud, very heavy, but it still leads into that sort of like joyous yeah. sort of tone. I think Godspeed You Black Emperor also does that kind oh, of thing. Dude, and that's why I put those single notes at the end, which actually if you listen you listen to the entire podcast, at the end of it, you'll hear the whole piece of music. Yeah. And it ends with this really kind of like melancholic I'm not gonna try and sing the notes because I'm tone deaf but you know yeah it's what our intro is exactly we made it our yeah. intro uh, yeah because the original idea was what if we make the fast portion the intro and then all four of us came around to the idea that maybe the intro should be the, the quote unquote slower portion yeah. the single note portion so what um, you're hearing as the intro I that sits at the end of that piece of music yes. to capstone it and say everything is okay we have 40 minutes to an hour of everything being fine mm -hmm. and yeah that's why, that's why I wrote that piece of music. Because I sat down and I really, um, well, to finish my, my stream of consciousness, I suppose, after I recorded everything, I gave it about a day of just listening and saying, well, is this right for what this project has to be? And I thought maybe it should be quieter and maybe it should be a little more um, guided. Mm -hmm. But I told myself, no, it, it, this is art. That's it. To, to try and maybe slow something down to try and maul something down and make it a little more focused or adult in a sense would take away from the great sense of um in the moment experience you get from being in the arts you're driving through you know you're driving through montana and you get a flat tire and you've never changed a flat tire before you're gonna learn yeah but there is a sense of like accomplishment in the moment accomplishment that you feel from those things and that's why um at least personally i chose to make the intro so kind of bombastic because it should start out with a positive positive grace well I, I i also say i think another reason maybe for me that i liked it too it's like you know so many times you have and this is the way i am with like film or movies or music or television or plays i like to be grabbed at the beginning does that make sense and i feel like I liked it because it felt like, okay, we're not coming in like soft. There's not these subtle notes. It's not quirky. It's like this heavy kind of emotional piece that just like, boom, here it is. And then this, when it slows down with those notes, it kind of like, it's like a setup for, and here's the dialogue. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, like let's phase down into the story. Like yeah. this is boom, 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 big intro, RKO pictures from the like 1940s, you know, Republic films or whatever you know like the big like when you hear like a beginning of a movie in the 1940s or 50s or 60s it was like bom, 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 bom. it was like a setup for something you're going before and like i like shows like that too that sort of just like pull you in like right away okay okay you're setting us up for something and so i yeah i enjoyed it because it's like it's got this almost like world news tonight <laughs> um theater doesn't exist you know it yeah. kind of has that feeling and so um yeah you're right i mean i think it does kind of accomplish 
encompass everything. Sorry. Um, for me, I, I mean, I loved it. And Mike, you know, definitely knows more musical things from that. And like he was, as he was saying earlier, it does. Like you could see like inspirationals in there, the more like things that are inspiring you to make these sort of tracks, which I love. I love it about it. Uh, I think I know Steve and Caleb were probably hoping for a more jovial kind of sound, a more fun kind of sound. But I think even them would say now after like 15, 20 episodes, well, they probably are, they like it now because now it's sort of like, our audiences are now recognizing when you hear that boom, 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 yeah. boom, boom. Welcome to the Long Monday. It's like that's now it's become, I think once you hear something over and over again, it's like any good theme song for a TV show or a commercial or any sort of vibe, You so it's it's stuck in your head now. You go, well, I can't associate anything else with this track now without this. Exactly. I was going to say, yeah. I can't see any other thing for the Long Monday except what we now have as the intro and outro yeah. for the Long Monday. It's become that synonymous thing um, for our quote-unquote product right it's, sure. like, it's the theme you mentioned it's the opening theme it's like the long monday episodes need to have that intro that's right it won't work unless the intro is there you know exactly so, and yeah. also on a person not to cut you off yeah but on a personal aspect i wrote it like that because i had just quit my band i had just left um i had just accepted the fact that you have to be uncomfortable to grow there has to be a lack of consistency for you to find out who you are and so i could have made something that was like somber and sad and it's like oh yeah dude ian curtis definitely killed himself but no i wanted to write shadow play is an awesome song mm -hmm. and joy division turned into new order and regret is an awesome song you know so where i was at personally in life i was like i can't write something that's going to be this sure. like this massive bummer of a song like no i i have to pull myself out of this and that was the first piece of music that i created after leaving empty Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. But that's why it's really, at the end of the day, that's why it's so big and bombastic because, you know, you leave almost almost four years of living in a van with people and now you just have freedom. Mm. I can just go wherever. I don't have to call a label. I don't have to send a text. Mm. I can just go. And that's why it's kind of has that pace to it because it's like, well, I'm going to hit the ground running. Nice. Yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah. I didn't, know, I didn't know it was your first piece that we wrote, that you wrote afterwards. Yeah. That makes sense, though. I think I could feel the vibe in that. You know, it's kind of like anger and freedom and all at the same, at the same time, too. Well, then let me ask, was what you did for The Raven your second piece since leaving the band? No. Okay. But it is the second piece that I actively gave to somebody. Okay. Um, and if you would like, we could transition to talking about doing The Raven as well. Because that was an entirely it. different... Experience. I, I want to, well, we want to yeah. talk about that. that's one of the things we're going to talk about too but I think on a side note that I'd love to hear whatever did you record any of those other pieces that you created between the Raven and our intro uh, yeah then I want to hear them yeah. and we want to play them on the long Monday I sometime will, in the future I will have to get them over to you then we'll do it you heard it first here people <laughs> we're going to hear some more music from Cody but let's talk about the Raven yes okay so um, the Raven Jason comes up to me at work, and he goes, "Hey, Cody, I'm thinking about doing this uh, thing where we're gonna take all these different voice actors, and they're gonna do the Raven, and I need music for it." And I was like, "Perfect." And he goes, and I quote, "I don't want it to sound like Twin Peaks." <laughs> and so it was true. Yeah, I, said, I don't want David Lynch. I don't want David Lynch. Boom, boom, ba, boom, yeah. <laughs> and um, that put a little spite in me. So. So I sat down and listened to the James Earl Jones version where he does this absolute masterclass of using projection and using dialect to telling this already legendary story. And I thought to myself, this has to be something that is intimate and articulate, but also has an anonymity to it. It can't be the focus of it. It's obviously the raven. It's not... Cody Constantine riffing over the Raven. It is the the beautiful accomplishment of collecting all of these people and putting together their separate works to recognize such a legendary story. So the whole guitar track on the Raven is one take. Flat out for the entire I think I sent you fifteen minutes. Yeah, I think it came out to like fifteen that. minutes and forty six seconds. Yeah. And um, it's one take. I, I did it three times. Each time when I felt like I'd mess up 
I would just restart the whole thing. Because there is a, just like with words, there's a fluidity that happens. And so I said, it would be unfair to do this piece by piece, brick by brick. I have to just create this landscape for it. And um, I use the chord, but I really like, I don't even think the chord has a name. I don't know the note structure, but if you play guitar, it's a three, a two, and a four. And it creates this weird jagged triangle, but it makes this really pretty melancholic sound. So I just did variations of that chord. And then when that track was done, I sat down and said, I just played guitar for 15 minutes and 46 seconds. Now I have to play bass. And I did only high notes on the bass. I did everything. So uh, for those of you who don't know, a guitar has six strings, a bass has four. The safe thing to do is to um, play below the first five frets on your bass guitar. And that's where you get that cool low end tone. I played above the 12th on the higher two strings to get this weird kind of um, ambiance to it. And then I said, well, that's that. And I listened to it for a day and I listened to all the little mistakes that are in it. And I said, well, it humanizes it. Just like the Raven, there's this weird uncanniness to it. Mm -hmm. This almost like why instead of what, you know? And that's how I did the music for Raven. It was three takes of 15 minutes. Each time I'd mess up, I would delete it. And then just a little bit of bass guitar. And then obviously Jason heard it and said, I'm going to do some Foley work. So he made some, he made some sounds, which only served to enhance the piece. And I, I mean, I tweaked, I think the Raven a tiny bit. Um, I had to tweak your, tweak your track a little bit. Cause I think we added all the voices in. Obviously, you were listening to the James Earl Jones version, and you you know you probably were pacing it a little bit off of that version. Yeah. So I think the moment you add all those different voices to it, we had to tweak a little bit. So I think there's a couple times where I take Cody's track and I layered it over itself. So you may hear like multiple notes hitting at different times just to kind of create that chaos at the end. But it was still the same track. And I think probably I'll at the end of this episode, we'll actually play the whole track for you. We'll just link it to it, or maybe there's a link for it, so you'll actually be able to hear the full track what Cody had uh, uncut. Um, but I remember the first time I did get it. At first, when I heard the first few notes, I did have a David Lynch vibe going on. I was like, "This jerk literally gave me David Lynch." I told him I didn't want David Lynch, and I feel like this is like I'm watching Mulholland Drive. He called it. It's like it's like man. Um, but then it was like at first because you know when you hear the music and you don't hear the voices because I think when I got Cody's track. I didn't have the, the actors' voices. I had maybe like five actors' voices, but I didn't have everybody. But then when I put it all together, I like listened to it. And I go, you know, Cody was pretty spot on with this. It kind of actually works. Like he had it actually vibed out. It really played. But then I thought, I go, yeah, you know, hearing it by itself, I don't know if it plays, but when you hear it with the Raven, it totally works for it. Um, it was interesting. I think it has a, I was a huge fan of it because I think it nails Doom. I got a good sense of, and the yeah. Raven is very much about like losing sanity and you know this crazed individual, and there's just this sense of like prolonged inevitable doom to the Raven track that you did, which is why I really like it. Um, very eerie, um, but also has like that post rock sort of like atmosphere to yeah. it. You and mentioned atmosphere earlier. Um, again, I bring up Godspeed, but Godspeed has such a sense of like nailing what doom is in terms of audio. When I got off of work. Cause I, I went, I got off of work and immediately went home and started listening and like listening to the James Earl Jones version. I listened to Godspeed. You has this record called F sharp, a sharp infinity, infinity yeah. sign. And it is probably the saddest piece of music yeah. ever. It is, it's devoid of positivity and you can go and listen to like disintegration by the cure or, you know, you can listen to unknown pleasures and they're sad, but it's when there is a devoid, a void of light. And you go, man, that's sad. Yeah. That is that is a doom. That it has no good to it. I mean, we've I've used that music before though. Mm -hmm. We've used that in the library yep. because of its impending kind of doom and and like over 
like over melancholy. It's not even like it's like it, like you could just feel like this world like crumbling around you in yeah. some ways. Um, but it's great. Um, and you're right. I mean, the Raven has that sort of thing because he goes through that those all those emotions, and you hear it as he's going through. It's like despair, and then it's like longing, and then it's like confusion, and it's all these sort of things. But you're right. The Raven just sort of like it had it there. And so, I mean, when you first heard it, though, with the Raven, like our recording, did it have the same feeling that you wanted it to have? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. I was I was very, very stoked. Uh, excited is the wrong word, and it sounds, it sounds a little weird to put stoked, mm-hmm. but it felt like I had just, like, done a kickflip for the first time, if that makes sense. I was like, yes, this actually worked, because you have to think, we went into it with such a gorilla warfare style i didn't have the actors voices i just had okay take this and we're going to kind of we're i'm going to make this work and i said i'm going to give you something that you can work with yeah but i mean at the end of the day it was i think a trust because it could have been you know 500 emails and text messages about like change this change this change this but it was i gave cody the most roundabout like here is the idea. Yeah. Give me an idea of what this has to be. And I tried my best to create something that, like I said, had this like intimate um, anonymity to it. Yeah. And that's that's sort of, I, I mean, I knew it's tough. Like if you're recording anything, you usually typically will have, I mean, when we do theater shows and most people that know this, you typically, before you start adding music or adding all the stuff, you've already got like the blocking and everything down. And so, yeah, you literally had no actors, no what they're going to sound like, no vibe, no pace, nothing. You just had to kind of, yeah, out of thin air, create something. So it did. It worked well. I thought so. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think something that all three of us can share with, maybe at some point or another, we all appreciate the grandeur of chaos in yeah. its truest form of when a light goes out, of, of when a set piece falls down. And you kind of go... When a microphone doesn't work. Yeah. And, and <laughs> yep. you kind of go, okay, we've planned for everything else but this. And that, I think, is where the human spirit really becomes um, its most purest. Because, rounding back to theater, all of this is just the expiration of emotion mm-hmm. and growth and stories that are, that are told to help us become maybe better people. Or to maybe see a different aspect or to give us a different perspective. So when you get a when you get somebody who says, I just need music for something, and you go, I don't I don't know what I'm gonna do. It doesn't make sense to sit yeah. down and have a panic attack over I have no direction. You just kinda sure. go, it's the desert, man. I'll make a way. You know? Yeah. I agree. Yeah, we certainly deal with chaos. Back when we were doing live theater, I mean you would yeah. have like you said, set piece moments. I mean feels like every show I was ever in something went wrong yeah. um, so but there's that part of it that goes like you said we did not prepare for this how are we going to solve it while yep. also being in front of a live audience yep and like there's something to that that I think is oddly appealing um, which is interesting to say do you yeah. mind if I tell a short story oh, go, go ahead. ahead so we were on tour with this band called Wolves of the Gate and uh, we were the opening band it was a four bill it was a four band slot and I had this amplifier cable that ran from the back of my speaker cabinet to my amp head, and that's what feeds the signal from one to another. We start playing, and I start feeling like this weird little earthquake, and I'm like, what is going on? Because I know what my bass tone sounds like, and it, yeah, it's one of those things where I took a lot of pride in it, and I'm like, why do I keep getting this weird, like, my pants aren't flapping and I look back and I start playing notes and no signal is coming out and I go wonderful (laughs) I think I just blew my amp head so we're in the middle of this song and I look at the rest of my bandmates and I said I just buy me time just jam do something talk play some songs I don't know Um, and so I started running down the list of adrenaline and also going, okay, what connects my bass to my pedals? What connects my pedals to my amp head? What is in my amp head that could break? Is it a power cable? Is it the amp itself? Or is it this cable? 
and I rationed out that it was his cable. So we're in the middle of this song called Trench, and Trench is the one slow song that we have, the one song where bass actually carries um, a majority weight to it when it mm -hmm. finally comes in. And I'm sitting there, and I'm going through my toolbox of, of extra cables, like, like having an extra XLR cable, and I pull up this speaker cable. It's a speaker cable I've had since I started playing bass. And I go, this has to work. So turn the amp off and I look at Gary and I was like, give me five extra seconds during the uh, lead into the ending. In these five seconds, I changed out this speaker cable and I can feel myself internally going, this is the one chance you have to make this happen. If not, the whole show is ruined. I flip the amp back on and it worked. And it was that second of like relief when the rainstorm comes because the cloud was there and you're just waiting for it. But when it finally happened, everything finally worked. That was the most alive I had felt that entire tour because we get into this weird routine of, of consistency. You load gear on stage, you sound check, you leave, you play a show, you have the same conversations with people, but when the little part of you that goes, be cool if something maybe went wrong, does go wrong, and you're, and you're put into a moment of, of forced change, mm -hmm. it's a really exciting thing. Well, I think that happens in theater a lot, too. I mean, you, you're, I mean you, as actors, you're always, especially when you're doing a show for like, I know at Lang Stage, we've done shows for like four weeks in periods of time. You know, by the time you get that third week, you're sort of like, okay, I've done this a million times. But then you start creating like little nuances and little things, and then there's become scenes and moments that you want to play with. And I actually know, um, and this is a thing I think for actors, and Steve can probably answer to this too, and I, Kayla and Mike probably too, but there are times when actors will just lose focus on stage or something happens. Light goes out, audience member coughs or starts talking, and it can throw you out of completely. Some people respond, they freeze up. Some actors respond with like some sort of impromptu thing, which is really what you kind of had this impromptu, whereas your your technical knowledge and everything sort of like took over and said, okay, impromptu, you guys jam, I gotta figure out what's going on. Uh, actors sort of do the same thing. I mean, some actors are really good at like if something happens, somebody drops a scene, another actor, some actors are great at improving the way through the scene, like like feeding the other actor the line, something, because it, it happens. I mean, life just happens sometimes. Like, you know, you lose your place. Uh, I've been in shows where Mike's had to like, I mean, I've directed shows where Mike's had to like carry a scene because something happens. Um, I myself, there's been moments where another actor like loses a line where you just have to sort of get people back on track. Um, and to be honest, those are some of my favorite moments of theater because those are moments where you're like, man, I really killed it tonight. Or I, I you know, that moment where things fell apart, I held my own. I like, I proved that I can do this, you know? Um, but also the nuances too, sort of make it too, like where people like play with things and they twist twist things and make things. So I think that's the one cool thing about live arts is it's always kind of evolving. Things can always go wrong. I mean, just now because we're in the Christmas season, this episode is gonna come out in the holiday season. I always use Atlantic Stage, the first Christmas Carol we did at the 79th Avenue Theater, we had a lot of moving set pieces. Mike, I don't think you were in that one. You were in the second year. Yeah, I was in the second version. So we had like this, all these moving pieces. We had like a rolling bed. We had moving set. Things were like flying in and out. We had a fireplace where like actors would come out of the fireplace. But we had this young guy, Adam Swanson, who Adam Swanson now, if anybody's ever worked with Adam Swanson and knows him, he's an amazing tech guy, knows his stuff. Um, and was supposed to be in Disney World working on tech stuff, but he couldn't because of COVID. This kid was like, I think at the time he, I think he was like 17 maybe. He was like a senior in high school. And so like he was tasked with being like the technical main guy and was having to figure out all these set pieces. And every night, I mean, probably up until we opened, nobody knew what the heck was going on. I mean, we didn't, we didn't know where this space was going to move. Like he had a vision of it, but it was like so much going on. So eventually it was like you never thought it was going to work. And like there would be nights where we opened and it was like, oh, this is not going to work. This bed's not going to be here. But by the time it was all over, like you figured it out. Like things would happen every night. Something worked. Something worked. Like I mean, the year you were doing Christmas Carol, that clock, that digital clock mm -hmm. face thing. Yeah. Some nights the projector would work. Some nights it would go out, and it's like, you know, Stephen would be back there like fiddling with cables, like during the show. Like it's like Act One. He's back there like I think I'm gonna get it to work. It might work. It might work. But you know, um, but that's how live arts are, man. Stuff 
doesn't happen and you figure it out. You sort of like go with your gut, you yeah. go with your instinct. And yeah, you remember those moments because you're like, that's when like you feel alive doing the arts because you, you're like, oh man, remember that show and such and such? Remember that performance and such and such? Yeah, it's just like those cool moments. Um, so Cody, um, obviously I've talked to you about doing other music stuff in the future. Um, is there anything you want to do theater-wise? I mean, by doing this, has it made you want to do music for, like, I mean, Trent Reznor has pretty much gone straight to doing film scores. Film scores. I mean, he's doing the new David Fincher one again. Um, does it make you want to do this kind of music now, or do you think, nah, I don't know? So it's very funny that you say this, because literally last night, I, uh, I got a drink with my old drummer and he like he was like hey man like we're thinking about like just doing like getting the band back together and I was like I'll have to I'll have to sit down and think about it you know because yeah, obviously as people grow you remove yourself from situations and you realize that the things you were angry about were dumb things to be angry about sure so um it's funny that you say that, but I don't know. I feel like I'll always, in some way or another, want to do music. Um, I've told myself that like by next year, I really want to start like a post-punk band um, to kind of veer off the course for a second. The great thing that quarantine taught me was that I was a pretentious idiot. And now I've spent the rest of this year unlearning how to be a pretentious idiot. Like, I was the kind of dude, I was like John Cusack and High Fidelity without all the good stuff. So I was just John Cusack. So no Jack Black. <laughs> yeah, I was no Jack Black. And, uh, like, I used to only listen to music that, like, I had to find in person. Like, I listened to, like, a majority of my music on vinyl records, and I was one of those guys. So I bought Spotify Premium, and it has changed my life. Because now I actually realize that the great thing about art is the discovery of it. That's it. That's truly why we do art to discover yeah. something. And um, but yeah, I really would like to start like a post punk band because I've listened to nothing but Interpol for like two months now. Turn on the Turn on the Bright Lights is a masterpiece of a record, and it is a shame that they don't get the recognition they deserve because the Strokes happened and the Yeah Yeah has happened. And it's like yeah, that's cool, but like man, something real dark was going on in these nightclubs here. Like, and you have such a beautiful masterpiece there. Um, other than that, I would, when the world finally reopens, I'd love to go back on tour, maybe, you know. Sure. And hopefully, hopefully you will. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully I'll be able to see you in concert. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. finally. Finally. Well, it only took leaving a band. Yeah, and, and then, then and then coming back to a band. And then come, maybe coming back to a band. Months later. Tentatively. You know, I was thinking about this the other day, um, about how long it's been since doing something um, I was in the middle, I've said this before, driving Miss Daisy, but I was in my, when I was getting stuff, like in my office, there's a pair of shoes I was wearing in the show that are for like this golf scene. Everybody knows driving Miss Daisy. I still have the shoes. They're not even my shoes. They're the director's shoes. And I'm like, it has been nine months. And I still have this guy's costume piece. This dude has never wanted to have his shoes back. I was like, and then I started thinking, Oh my gosh, this is like middle of March. I still have this guy's shoes literally in my office like that are just sitting there. And it's like you just realize how long it's been every time you look back at it and go, man, um, I can't wait to get back. I can't wait to get back. can't wait to get back to some sort of normality when it comes to the arts. And so. I think too that when you, when you choose to have a career that is focused with the arts, that you really go through these great periods of like rediscovering like water, if that makes sense. Because obviously, like we've said, you get into this sense of routine. But it's like situations like that, where like, um, I have the van from my band, and uh, whenever I quit, I was cleaning out all of this stuff, and I was looking through these receipts, mm -hmm. and I was like, man, we really spent a lot of money on like, gas. Because you're driving a full-size van. But then I started looking at the locations from where we got this gas. And I was like, we really did. Like, I saw the country. Like, I've I've seen and met people that I never thought I would. And it's because of, like, a sense of rediscovery. 
Yeah. You know, it's a sense of it's a sense of like removing yourself from it and coming back to it later. But I think when you take a career in the arts, every everybody should do one show. Everybody should do one stand-up act, you know? It's like Jason and I always say, everybody should work retail once. So you have that different perspective. And maybe it'll open something up inside of you. Maybe you'll actually understand it. Because choosing a career in the arts, it's not a hobby. Like, the Mona Lisa wasn't made in a night. Yeah. Nobody would have been like, hey, yeah, you just painted the Mona Lisa. That was, that was a career. That was, you know, painting the Sistine Chapel, that was a career choice. Yeah. And not necessarily a lucrative career choice. Yeah. So, so you're saying it takes time and effort before you finally make a masterwork. Yes. Well, what do you say to the contortionists making Exoplanet as their first record? Um, they don't count. They don't count? The contortionists can do no wrong. That's what I'm saying, though. Like, how does how does a group of artists come together and make a masterpiece on their first album? I think. I think sometimes the universe brings people together to do something, and it just works, you know. And obviously, the contor- for those of you who don't know, the yeah, we're just going off in tangents. Here. The contortionists are this are this masterclass group of musicians who play. I would you what would you call it? I would, well, prog metal is a way, progressive yeah. metal, obviously, but it falls into gent, which people exactly the definition of what that is. That's but, where we start to get weird. Yeah. Um, do not, here's a good life lesson. Let's get onto this real quick. Don't ever take anything at face value. You should always give something at least one chance. So if you're sitting around and you're going, man, the contortionist sound like a metal band. Listen to them. Yeah. Because what your understanding of metal and our understanding of metal is as like seasoned veterans of listening to metal are completely separate things. And the contortionists, speaking of them, they have this song called Language. Language one and two. But there is a version where they re-recorded it as this like acoustic like symphony thing. Yeah, it's it just, was weird. It's just called Language Rediscovered. Mm-hmm. And it is probably up there with like with like Nema by Miles Davis. I would put it I'd compare it to anything by Coltrane. Anything by Marvin Gaye. It is one of the most beautiful pieces of work you'll ever hear. And when you remove the idea of this band being a metal band, it just becomes art. That's all it is. But yeah, sometimes the universe just brings people together and says, yeah, we're gonna make this happen, man. Like we've talked about Joy Division, look at unknown pleasures. Yeah. Uh, Henry Rollins there's this great interview about that record where he says, when the dust settles and everybody stops talking about the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, they're going to look at this and say, this was the one that did it. Or or um, Raw Power by Iggy and the Stooges. That's a masterclass, man. Or Funeral by Arcade Fire. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Mike's going to disagree with you on that one. No, Arcade Fire's fine. Well, I, you know, um, so if you want to listen to it, uh, check out The Contortionists. Everybody. Don't do it. Yeah, uh, check yeah. out The Contortionists. Stop the podcast right now. <laughs> no, no, no. Listen, no. Give us a couple more minutes, finish the podcast, <laughs> listen to Cody's music, which we're going to tack onto it, and then go listen to, uh, okay. follow it up with The Contortionists. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll agree with that. Well, thank you for being here, Cody, man. It's been awesome. Yeah. Um, it's, it's always good to have a different perspective other than theater, have something else with the arts. I know Mike and I have enjoyed it. Uh, any final questions you have, Mike? Anything you want to say? No, I brought up a lot of the bands I was going to talk about, and we had that little delineation there, so that's good. Um, I guess then, if we approach you for more music, let's say we do a season two of The Long Monday, right? Yeah. What's your first steps? What do you think you're going to... Are you going to come... Are you going to tackle it differently from your first... Uh, the track you gave us? Are you going to take a new perspective on it all? I don't know. I think that is the road that you got to see when you get there, you know? Yeah. I would, I would love to do something different, but obviously there are still different perspectives and different voices that have to have an opinion in it. And having now created two things from the seat of my pants, I think it'd be nice to sit down and be like, well, what do you guys actually want? Yeah. What, what's the view here? I mean, I think the intro is probably going to stick. I don't think we're going to end up changing that probably anytime soon. Right. Um, we may evolve it. Um, but we were just having a conversation the other day, Mike, with uh, Caleb and Steve, and we were saying thinking about going forward and looking at shows possibly for, you know, bigger audio productions, like full-time shows, which is somewhere where I've talked to you, I know before about doing music for like a whole production. Yeah. 
um, scoring like you know an hour and a half piece, not scoring a 10 to 15 minute piece, um, which would be something I'd love to get to. Obviously, it's something that would take time for you to hear, and you'd yeah. want to have the piece and hear it. Um, but that's where I'd like to get to. I'd like to get original content and original music um, because I think there's nothing better than having something when you see a movie or television or even play with original music. It's always nice because you know it was created for that project. You know? I so. agree. Well, uh, Cody, anything you want to say before we uh, close up this episode of The Long Monday? I don't know. Um, just be decent people to each other. Just remember at the end of the day that, like we've said here probably three or four times now, art is about discovery. Theater's about discovery. Painting, creating music, doing performance art, whatever you do, it's all about discovery. So don't be afraid to try something new for a first time because maybe, you know, maybe you'll gain some really good insight about who you are from it. Awesome. Well, that's a perfect way to end the show. I couldn't agree more. All right, guys. Well, thank you for another episode of The Long Monday. We appreciate you guys listening. Um, thanks to Cody uh, for joining us. Uh, thanks to Mike, as always. Absolutely. And uh, like I said, we're going to tack on some of Cody's, like the complete cut of these music. We'll have a link. Either we'll link it or I'll put it at the end of the show. You guys can listen to it uh, off into the sunset. Thank you guys once again from The Long Monday. Have a good one. See you next time. Hey everybody, that was the end of the episode. But if you want to stick around and listen to the unedited full versions of Cody's tracks, our intro to The Long Monday and The Raven, just stay tuned right here and enjoy the next 10 minutes.
Thank you. 